in the name of the one who was and is and always shall be. Amen. Amen. Who do you say that I am? Jesus asked the disciples this important question during last week's gospel lesson. I am revisiting Jesus' question again today because last week's gospel lesson is connected to the one we read this morning. Our reading this morning is a continuation of that conversation we heard last week between Jesus and the disciples. If we had Bibles in front of us, we would be able to see this in the text. Unfortunately, the lectionary, the calendar that determines which scripture should be read each day, sometimes leaves things out. Today's lectionary edited out the first part of the first sentence of Matthew, chapter 16, verse 21 where our reading begins. In the Bible, it begins with, from that time on. Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering. That's the first sentence. The phrase, from that time on, at the beginning of the sentence refers back to the conversation where Jesus asks his disciples who do you say that I am? Jesus' question leads Peter to recognize that Jesus is the Messiah, son of the living God. After Peter says this, Jesus tells Peter that he is the rock upon which Jesus will build his church. Peter or Petros, in Greek, is intertwined with the idea of the rock, or Petra, in Greek. And Jesus tells Peter, the rock of the church, that I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Jesus did not mean the plural you, as in you all. The you in this sentence was singular, which meant that Jesus singled Peter out as the recipient of the keys of heaven. So in this morning's reading, we are in a place where the disciples have recognized that Jesus is the Messiah. And now Peter, the church, and heaven are all linked. This deep connection between Peter, the church, and heaven makes today's reading much more interesting because it is from that time on, from that discussion, that Jesus tells the disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering. The disciples do not take this news very well. Peter even takes Jesus aside from the rest of the disciples and has the audacity to rebuke Jesus saying, no, Lord, this must never happen to you. It is pretty astounding that Peter would recognize Jesus as the Messiah in one moment and rebuke him in another. Perhaps 
With Peter's newly found understanding of his great authority as the rock of Jesus' new church, Peter felt tempted to preserve this new church by preventing even Jesus from staining God and the church he had just founded with suffering and death. Peter's aversion to suffering is understandable. Peter and the other disciples would have had no context to help them make sense of what Jesus was saying. To the disciples, the Messiah was supposed to be the one who would liberate them from their suffering at the hands of the Roman Empire. They would have looked back to scripture for descriptions of God and the Messiah and seen a God who actively delivers people from suffering. The reading from Exodus this morning is a good frame of reference. God says to Moses that God has seen the misery of God's people in Egypt, God knows of their sufferings, and God will deliver them from their suffering. So to the disciples, God would not send the Messiah to suffer. Didn't make any sense. Instead, through the Messiah, God was supposed to take away suffering. It was as if Jesus had gotten it all wrong. This all feels very familiar. There is a temptation to keep the church, that which bears God, holy and pure, to place it, our liturgy, our clergy, our buildings, and ourselves, along with God, somehow outside of the bounds of the muck of life, to keep God in and keep the suffering out in order to preserve God's holy perfection. I love the Book of Common Prayer. There's one right here in the pulpit. Go figure. When my non-Episcopalian husband floated the idea of writing our own vows for our wedding, my response to him was, oh, isn't that so nice? You're so adorable. However, Archbishop Thomas Cranmer wrote the vows uh, for the Book of Common Prayer in 1549, and there is no way that you could do any better than him. As much as I think it is true sometimes, God does not live in my beloved red prayer book with a cross on it. My most honest prayers, my most intimate communication with God were not carefully curated by my favorite Anglican, Archbishop Thomas Cranmer. My most honest prayers are messy. Sometimes they have four-letter words. Sometimes they might be as simple as thank you over and over and over again. Sometimes I am just quiet because I don't know what to say, but I think God probably gets the point anyway. Sometimes my prayers are me having a solo dance party in my living room to really loud music. 
And Jesus has something to say about this temptation to keep him away from life's messiest moments, from the deepest suffering, and from death. He responds to Peter by saying, get behind me, Satan. And it is here, within the same chapter of Matthew, that Peter, the rock of the church, becomes Satan, a stumbling block to Jesus' work of salvation. Jesus flips the script on what it means to be the Messiah. To quote a commentary, the amazing thing about the gospel is precisely that God chooses to become not so immaculately conceived by coming as a despised Jew in the Roman Empire, a lowly Galilean among the Jerusalem establishment, living in the mess of humanity and ultimately becoming a victim of our collective dysfunction. If we are going to become followers of Jesus, we cannot become any less vulnerable with, toward, or for others. Our concern is not first and foremost the purity of the church or the rightness of our doctrine, but our willingness to follow Jesus into the world and onto the cross. We do not control God or give Jesus the conditions to our discipleship. Instead, we risk contamination and insecurity by releasing the need to protect our own lives and institutions. Recently, I read an article in the Episcopal News Service online in which the House of Deputies President, Julia Ayala Harris, shared her experience of an alleged incident of unwanted physical contact. I'm quoting the article now, and it says, a retired bishop physically overpowered her and made inappropriate verbal statements. The incident happened, she said, while she was waiting to be introduced to the House of Bishops. This alleged incident was witnessed by three other people, both President Ayala Harris and another witness filed complaints with the church. When complaints of this nature are filed, it is very stressful and very painful. In the alleged incident with President Ayala Harris, there are some very big stumbling blocks. However, President Ayala Harris and the other witnesses who stepped forward took up the cross of love. This is the cost of discipleship. This is what it means when Jesus says, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. This passage is not about being a martyr or a masochist, although it has been misused to justify both of, both of those things. Jesus does not intend for us to allow ourselves to be mistreated, stepped on, or stepped over. To deny yourself in this context means to prioritize God's will 
And God's will is that we treat one another with the love and dignity every human being deserves as a child of God. President Ayala Harris stood up for herself as a child of God, even though the process of doing so was incredibly painful. In the article, she said, going through this process was not something I would want anyone to have to endure. Yet, living through that experience has given me an important perspective that I can apply in my leadership role, and it has renewed my long-lasting commitment to increase safety in our communities. She not only stood up for herself, but will be continuing to take up the cross of love to help our church better enact the love and dignity that God extends to each one of us. Our church is not perfect. It was never perfect, and it never will be. Jesus founded the church on Peter, the imperfect rock who hailed Jesus as the Messiah in one moment, rebuked Jesus from fulfilling his ministry the next, and would go on later to deny Jesus three times. And we are Peter's inheritors, an extension of that desire to be in relationship with Jesus and follow God's call, but like Peter, we don't always get it right. Sometimes, as individuals, and we as the church, get it all very, very wrong. So, who do we say that Jesus is? Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, who embodied the fullness of the human experience, anger, joy, sadness, fear, love, and suffering. Through Jesus, God has knit us together and made us each a part of Christ's body. Jesus can hold all of us within his body because Jesus experienced it all. Jesus calls us each to bravely pick up our crosses of love and participate in God's church. The ecclesia, the Greek word for church, which actually means the assembly to which we have been summoned. I like to think that we have all been summoned here to this assembly at Ascension by Jesus for one reason or another. The Bible is full of prophets and saints like Moses and Peter who are summoned by God, but who are so incredibly messy as human beings. When God calls Moses and sets him to the task of freeing an oppressed Israel, Moses says he is unworthy and unequipped for the task. God doesn't debate Moses and say, oh yes, Moses, you are worthy, because that wouldn't be true. 
Moses actually isn't worthy. But that doesn't matter. God says, I will be with you. And that is what matters. God's presence is what makes Moses able to do God's work. And God's presence is also what makes Peter able to do God's work. And through Jesus, we, the summoned assembly, are also able to do God's work. We might question God. We might not feel up to the task, like Moses. We might get things really, really wrong, like Peter, and create stumbling blocks for ourselves or others. But Jesus has been where we have been. And Jesus will be where we will be, regardless of the state of our mess, or our questions, or our doubts, ready to help us pick up our cross and follow the path of God's abundant love. Amen.